Well, they could always go on a game show. They could try and do, <laughs> cough their way through that shit. <laughs> Maybe fart. Maybe try farting next time. No one's yeah. going to pick up on that. Uh, or some other Touch bodily function. Just vomit whenever the correct questions are around. <laughs> just pile it syrup of Ipecac just at the back of the seat and they're just taking swigs. Oh, God. That's, sorry, I just chain closed myself. Reaction that would happen. <laughs> chain oh, reaction yeah, in the all over. Hello and welcome to History's Greatest Idiots, the podcast in which we tell you stories from human history about terrible mistakes made by idiots throughout time and try and give you lessons that you can learn from so you never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like making mistakes and we do it all the time. Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. How are you doing this week? How are things? I'm doing pretty good. Involved yeah. in all kinds of creative projects and shindigery, nice. shenaniganry. I don't know. Yeah. Making up words. <laughs> well, you, if you're a part of the creative process, uh, inventing words is, is part of that. Shakespeare did it all the time. No one batted an eyelid. So, right? They think it. that's just the way people talk. Yeah, exactly. No, no. We just don't have any other, other evidence. We're like, oh, this, this random word here? Thoweth? Yeah, sure. People were probably saying that. It's not that he was Wouldn't a bad that writer. Be some, that'd be some shit. If, <laughs> this whole time, which is like, history was just some dude made up a language just to mess with people. Yeah, and no one else bothered to cross-check it with any other documents. They're just like, oh, this must have been how they talked at the time. God, Shakespeare, what a genius. (laughs) Seems fair if people can sell made-up money from make-believe lands. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's Disney bucks. Anyway, um, so yeah, you've uh, you've got a project in the works, haven't you? You've uh... I do. Mm. Trying to do a uh, a fiction podcast thing of my own. So cool, so cool. I, I I did one of those many many years ago. I think it was like ten years ago now. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's a lot of work to get it off the ground. So I I really hope that kind of process uh, kind of gets a bit smoother for you as time goes on. Um, I know how long it's, it can take. It's been all right. I just I just I don't trust myself too much. But <laughs> you know what? I was watching a video from back in the day. What does the fox say? Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. If somebody puts that out, then I can't possibly screw up more than that. No, exactly. Uh, no. If, as long well, as it beats that in terms of quality of writing, I think you're fine, really. Um, it's, and now um, <laughs> I've had my first week in a new job where I um, officially launch podcasts as a career. Um, that's yeah. now my job. Not just researching, proofreading and stuff. I actually coach the hosts and I kind of help the clients kind of come up with structure and ideas and stuff and yeah it's it's almost like it's something i can do quite well so yeah um (laughs) works dude i know it's really good and other news um we've been going for just over two months and we have just hit i think i didn't check the exact figure but we've just hit 360 listens which Sweet. We've come full circle, literally, uh, 360 <laughs> lessons. Um, so I'm happy with that. The first couple of months, that's really good. Um, yeah, it turns out people are really digging the uh, the episode about um, Adolf Fredericks, the man who ate himself to death, and also Malachi always- Love Robinson. So. Yeah, it's always funny when people do little harmless, innocent scams and when mm-hmm. they eat themselves to death. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what brings in the better. views, apparently. So, 
<laughs> can't wait to see what happens when we discuss our next episode, which will be out this Monday, actually, which, what's that, the, uh, the 7th, that'll be coming out uh, tonight as we record this. So anyway, um, this week... We have two brand new episode, uh, two brand new episodes. No, two brand new idiots for the tenth episode of History's Greatest Idiots. We're ten episodes deep, man. This has flown Dude, by. It has. It's it crazy. Seems like we just started. It does. Two months, ten episodes. We're churning them out. We're like a little podcast making machine here. You've it's definitely incredible. had me. Up my word count for my daily writing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's my fault. I, I get, know, I get I too it. into it. I really do. So, <laughs> Derek, um, the reason that, that people will be... Because not only are we doing this as a podcast now, we'll be doing this as a vodcast, and people will be able to see this on YouTube. I've finally adapted my YouTube game to actually include video. Um, they will be able to see a picture on screen, which has probably been confusing them for the first five minutes of this, at least. Um, there's a picture of a paleontologist on here, because you told me that your subject, we, di- we discussed these things in advance, that your subject was a paleontologist. And I was fascinated. I didn't want to ask any more, so I've just put a picture of a paleontologist on there. So, Derek, could you please tell me about this week's idiot who is a paleontologist of sorts? Well, first off, I'm going to be tripped out if you've got the right picture up there. That would be pretty (laughs) awesome. Okay. Psychic man. But I, I was actually thinking about this, and it came about because 28 years this month, uh, Jurassic Park came out and graced the big screens. and. It really? was June 11th, 1993. My God, I can remember so, going to see that with my parents. I was 12 when that came out. Dude, it was amazing. And yeah. it was like dinosaur fever sweep the world yes. afterwards. Everybody just had a renewed interest in, in, in well, velociraptors oh my for God. the most part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't even know that was a thing. No, neither did I. Like, we all knew, like, oh, it's a dinosaur film. There's going to be a T-Rex in there somewhere. Because yeah. If, yeah. if you're a kid who happens to be into dinosaurs, you learn about T-Rexes and you're like, oh my God, it's giant and vicious and scary and oh, this is the best thing ever. Velociraptors were totally a thing that was pushed into the consciousness by Jurassic Park. And it's such a good film. It ages, it's aged so well. Maybe not the effects so much, but the story, the beats, the action, the way the film plays out, it's so good. So it good. is. It, also it got definitely a, is. Samuel L. Jackson when he was in his 40s as well, so... Oh, yeah. I forgot he was in the office there. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> the cigarette hanging out and of his Newman. mouth. And and bypass and stuff. It was so cool to see that. Yeah. I, for- I forgot all about that. I was focused on Newman and his... Uh, 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 uh. It's stuck in my head. But... It's, it's so... In- Go on, sorry. <clears throat> sorry. I was going to just say that dinosaur mm. is kind of a cool-ass word, mm. but... Not a whole lot of people know where that uh, name was actually coined or who did it. No, I I can't say I do either. Well, the first instances of scholarly descriptions of what would be recognized as dinosaur bones Mm -hmm. started showing up in the late 17th century in England. Okay. Which I didn't know that that's where it was. Auto- automatically, you think paleontology, it's going to be in the desert somewhere, right? Yeah, it makes sense. But just just um, before you get into the swing of things, we do actually have a place in the UK called uh, the Jurassic Coast, which is where they've discovered like hundreds and hundreds and thousands of fossils. And you can still walk on the beach, uh, that part of the world to this day, and find like tiny little 
fossilized rocks and stuff. So really cool. That's pretty sweet. You can't yeah. take them out though, can you? Sorry? Can you take fossils out? You can't take the fossils if you, out. If you find them, who's going to stop you? Oh. <laughs> Kick ass. I'm going to go to England and steal some yeah. fossils. Yeah, sell it to Nicholas I mean, Cage I... for money. Dude, I'm going to print a map on it and yeah. it's all over. Now I'm mixing all my movies together. <laughs> Amazing. So in 1841, the term dinosaur was coined and actually became a thing to classify members of a specific branch of the terrible lizards that they had been digging up for uh, a few years, a couple okay. of centuries. And the man behind the, the term dinosaur was named Richard, which is a fitting name because the dude was actually kind of a dick. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> laughing at my own dad jokes. You're welcome. Oh, amazing. So the dude that brought us that word was almost as terrible as the ancient creatures that he used the word to describe. Wow. He was born in Lancaster, England on July 20th of 1804. Wow. As one of six children. Okay. And I'll be honest with you, the first few decades of Dick's life were definitely less than riveting. He, he didn't do it too much he's an old stuffy doctor he goes to medical school but when he gets an apprenticeship with a local surgeon he starts moving more into the research side of things at the university of edinburgh in 1825 nice he can continue to work at saint bartholomew's hospital yeah very famous studied, hospital studied under renowned surgeon john abernathy mm, yeah. definitely not the fastest knife but he's <laughs> renowned at the time <laughs> okay um, it got him uh, into the field of like biological research, and he started uh, <clears throat> at the Royal College of Surgeons, but abandoned the practice to uh, pursue the scientific research a aspect of it, where he remained for the rest of his career. And in, in 1841, he published a report on British fossil rep uh, reptiles, volume two. It's obviously one of those uh scientific journals so it's not as catchy of a title as you know something i would write but okay <laughs> it's it's descriptive yeah but uh he was only 37 by the time that he coined the term <clears throat> you're right <clears throat> damn <laughs> just choked i just choked on my own spit I'm that's sorry. okay <laughs> these things happen it's live folks so don't worry about it. <laughs> so everybody, I don't want everybody to consider me uh, malicious no, or okay. dishonest no. or, or hateful or anything no. like they did with Dick here. Uh, the guy was no David Attenborough. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of quotes that I can throw out by uh, that are from his peers that are colorful and kind of mean. Wow. And talk about his vindictive nature. Ooh. Speaking of, you know, some vindictive rich people that we were talking about earlier. Mm. <laughs> So his research of the giant reptiles uh, began with a love of cutting up dead animals. And he kind of had a, a dibs with the London Zoo at the time on wow. bodies of deceased animals so he could uh, you know, drag them out and cut them up and learn more neat stuff. I, I get uh, that that's a thing, but that's really... Uh, like, something about um, taxidermy. I just... It, fr it freaks me out. I find it really <laughs> grotesque. You know, my my um, my now wife many years ago said she was going to she was on a day out. I was in work and she went with a friend to uh, the second natural history museum. So we've got the one in the center of London, which is really, really interesting and massive. And she went to the second one, which is in a place called Tring. 
And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I wish I could come with you. And um, she sent me pictures. And she's like, you would not like it here. It is a place that was owned by the Rothschilds. And it's okay. basically every animal he ever shot in history just shoved in this, like, small, like, kind of museum. And it's just, like, it's dead animals on every surface. And you're like, oh, it's disgusting. stuffed and looking at you. Oh, just, I would fucking hate that. I'd want to burn the place down. It's grotesque. I find that stuffing of dead animals, especially after they've been hunted, really weird. Oof. Sorry, please yeah, carry on. It's... Not as weird as some of the the displays that we've been to out here. The oh, they're yeah? actually human bodies all oh. done up. Yeah, <laughs> that's disgusting. I was, I was deceived. Oh no, that's wrong. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to stare death in the eyes. I mean, if I want to go and see Lenin's grave, that's one thing. But I do not want to go and like stare at some random dead person in a museum somewhere. Ugh. No, well, and they had them. They have them all in different sections of oh. different section, but. Do they That's, have them posed in like different? Oh, yeah, kind of. They it's it's very scientific though. So it's oh, just okay. like, so hey, they're not like posed in stupid positions here. or anything. <laughs> uh, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I'm gonna get you. The scientists get bored and then these dead people doing <laughs> Boris Karloff impressions. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Sorry, please carry on. I'm getting sidetracked here. I, so I'm wandering off. I'm just getting excited with the conversation. I yeah. don't have any idea where I where I was with this. Oh yeah, he was cutting up big ass animals from the zoo. Yeah, fuck. It, in one case, his wife actually came home to find a giant rhinoceros cartridge <laughs> taking up the foyer of their house. This guy, like, that's disturbing. But I can't imagine how unpleasant the smell had to be. Oh yeah, just oh. just chopping things up in the house and i i mean it's the 1800s it's yeah. not like air conditioned or cool no no yeah. no refrigeration nothing at all so by the time that he actually started getting involved in the research of dinosaurs he'd become kind of a an old curmudgeon <laughs> so like if you would picture a stuffy old british doctor biologist scientific oh, yeah. researcher from the 19th century Kind of with a, a building appearance of the creep show creep, all like <laughs> Crypt Keeper esque and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm already imagining an arsehole, basically, just a yeah, really vicious piece of work. That's dick. Yeah. And you mix that with uh, reality television stars, and <sighs> that's why people hated him because he was a gossipy, <sighs> credit stealing jerk face. Oh, God, this guy. Hate him already. Carry on, please. He, he did do some very good things. Oh, when yeah. you mentioned the Natural History Museum, mm hmm. Those wouldn't exist without this guy. Wow. It was his bringing forward of the research and studies and the findings and sharing it with the public that was really kind of cool. So wow. he did have some some good things going for him. We do owe him a, gret of, a, a debt of gratitude for that. Thank you. Yeah, I fucking love museums and shit like that. So thank you for that, you, you arsehole who leaves rhino corpses lying around the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you remember when I said that his peers and colleagues had colorful quotes? Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm going to get to that part here. So he liked to talk shit about his colleagues, oh, and he was God. really public about it. Yeah. And he, he didn't hold back any of his views on his peers mm. or his critics. Okay. So he was also fond of uh, taking credit for other people's work, and he would use his influence uh, as part of the member of the Royal Society oh. for... And, and his notoriety from previous work to just kind of stop other researchers' papers from getting out. Oh, no, I and hate that. 
then he would just go in there and take credit because cool. the publications never came out. So prove it, you know. This guy sounds like but, a paleontologist version of Kanye West. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just a prick taking credit for everyone's stuff, calling himself the best. <laughs> just oh, get, just marry a Not Kardashian, a you giant prick. Yeah. Well, he, you know what, too? He had uh, a feud going with Charles Darwin. So oh, yeah. I guess in that way, he's kind of like a rapper, too. They he had the beef. rapper feuds going. He's got, he's got okay. East Coast, West Coast beef on paleontology. Releasing diss tracks. <laughs> <laughs> he was, kind of, in a way. More or less, oh, my God, we found the YouTube drama of the 19th century. This is fucking insane. Well, and he had a beef with another dude named Gideon, where mm. he was actually a dude that he went after kind of a lot okay. and barred his publication specifically and stole his findings <sighs> specifically, like the Iguanodon. Oh, okay. Now, you might know the Crystal Palace dinosaurs and that. Yeah. That sort of representation of the Iguanodon was due to Dick taking credit of, for Gideon's research of what he had found, and he actually totally got it wrong because instead of thinking that they ran on uh, four legs like the regular iguanas, hmm. they actually stood on two legs, and stuff like that would come out later sure. and put the nail in his coffin for being an uh, idiot. Yeah, well, a thief in a way, and. One of his biographers described him as being a social experimenter with a penchant for sadism, Oof. addicted to controversy and driven by arrogance and jealousy. Ah, oh, God. So, I wonder if that's going to be cool put thing. on his tombstone by the end of this story. That, that would be a brilliant epitaph, oh, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but he was almost fanatical for his egotism and callous delight in savaging his critics which that's a quote from Gideon one of his his beef track buddies wow um he he said it was a pity that the man was so talented and so dastardly and envious i love words like that too yeah it's so dastardly. 19th century isn't it we need to bring those back yeah along with answering the phone with a hoy hoy it's like it's oh hell yeah yes <laughs> That's how Alexander Graham That's... Bell wanted it answered, so we should do that. I I agree. Yeah. I mean, the guy that guy was a dick too. Oh yeah, massive. I like ahoy hoy. <laughs> it's definitely better than yeah. Yo, what's up, bitch? <laughs> That's not uh, how I answer still, the phone. Still not as good as was. Nah, that will never go old. That will never get old. Yeah. I, I, is that a dad joke now? Is it old enough? To uh, be oh yeah. Considered... Oh big time. Yeah, that's twenty years old now as well. Shit. Is that a boomer thing or like, no? No, that's a that's I like a a late millennial, early Gen Xer thing. So okay, yeah, so we we can get away with that. Us folks that don't know what generation we belong belong to, <laughs> yeah, but, so floating in between. So back to Dick stealing Gideon's work. Uh, he uh, actually stole that well, or shortly after Gideon was in a accident that left him permanently crippled. Oof. So the timing was extra not cool. Mm. And since Gideon was busy fighting for his life at the time, he didn't really f focus on his work or getting his papers out Can't say in a timely him. manner. And uh, Dick swooped in and took credit for the discovery <sighs> himself. Although, like I said, he got it wrong. So it, <laughs> I guess karma a yeah. little bit in a way. Big time. Um, even 
in death, Gideon was unable to escape Dick's dastardly deeds. <laughs> I, I had to read that the way I put it out there because yes. I was just too impressed with myself. Also, <laughs> massive high five for the Dick Dastardly work in there. Yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> ah, good times. Yeah. <laughs> when Mantell passed in 1852, Dick anonymous, anonymously submitted a eulogy to the newspapers describing Gideon as an idiot, a bad scientist, that never really accomplished anything, and uh, yeah, but, but he did it anonymously, so it was okay. Oh, but and like <laughs> he he made a name for himself. I, I, that's interesting that he did it anonymously because he had absolutely no problem slagging people off when they were alive in public, like he nothing. But because he realizes that the whole "you can't speak ill of the dead" thing would make him look really, really bad, he did it anonymously. But it's like at that point you know what you're doing and you know that what you're doing is wrong so therefore you hide yourself behind that like yeah he's he is a full 100% conscious of what he's doing prick there's no two ways about yeah. it at that point absolutely uh <laughs> so that's not even the most insane thing that happened to him mm. uh you know posting that up Scientists eventually confirmed, like I said, that the Iguanodon walked on all fours sure. and that it didn't look like a giant iguana <laughs> at all. It wasn't bipedal. Uh, it yeah, it actually ran around on two legs and was more bird-like than iguana-like, mm. uh, uh, turns out. So despite the bitter feud and name-calling and plagiarism, Dick was totally laughable mm. and wrong about that. And so, like I said, karma. It's pretty fitting since it wasn't his. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, fuck him. To be fair, though, it's been suggested that the portrayal of Dick was kind of incited by Charles Darwin and sure. some of his other critics after he passed on, and they kind of pushed history to portray him as a vindictive, treacherous dude. Mm. But some of the, the discoveries that he stole... And some of the ones that he, he made on his own were kind of completely wrong. So he wasn't <laughs> super great at his job no. either. He's just just a, a credit hound. Yeah. But Dick retired at the age of 79, never really <sighs> regaining the respect that he had mm, early on or sure. the high opinions that he had from his peers. Mm -hmm. He lived uh, to the ripe old age of 88 in oh, wow. uh, 1892, which is old as hell. That is so very old for that period. My God. Yes, there's something to be said for being a dick. Maybe it keeps you young. Packed with, made a pact with Satan to live that long. That could be it. Yeah. Very well. <laughs> You've just got to behave like an arsehole and you get 88 years. Yeah, he had to have given him something. Yeah, though. for sure. Maybe he gave him Gideon. That was the accident. Yeah, sold, take this arsehole. Sold somebody else's soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So... That's that's my guy, uh, one of history's greatest idiots, oh, Sir yeah. Richard Owen, a biologist, Owen. comparative anatomist, paleontologist, and to many that knew him, a total dick. <laughs> so that, that absolutely aligns up. I, I I vaguely I feel like I vaguely heard that name because I spent a lot of time in museums around London and up, up and down the country and stuff and. You know, you get to know people like that. And it's fair to say that Darwin had an awful lot of stroke. So, you know, he to the point where people don't even remember the fact that Darwin worked with someone else to come up with the theory of evolution. And it's only in like the last 10 years that this other person has been given the credit they deserve and their bust is alongside Darwin's in the Natural History Museum in London. But he does sound like a dickhead to yeah. the extreme. 
and the fact that he had to steal credit and swoop in and it's kind of like a really horrible Stanley because Stanley's known for <laughs> sweeping in and taking whatever credit isn't already taken. He's like, yeah, I, I came up with that. And it's like, no, Stan, we know that Jack Kirby did that. Just fucking sit down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm more charismatic. I, I'm funny. Look at me. I've got giant glasses. Um, <laughs> so I go on. What were you going to say? Well, just, I think, uh, off the top of my head, mm. I think I said Dick 93 times in this episode so far. <laughs> 94. You're going to hear, you're going to be saying it a lot more with my guy as well. I swear to God. Um, he, see, the thing is, um, it, again, we, we've, it's difficult to define idiots. This guy was a prick. Like, there's no two ways about it. And actually, you combine that with the fact that he wasn't very good at his job, wasn't very successful, and the only success he found was by stealing other people's ideas and completely misinterpreting them so that they were wrong. So um, he's he's a classic idiot in that he's completely... He found success through the fact that he was a paleontologist who was a, a glory hog. But then as soon as he was found yes. out, like, that was it. He never made a comeback, so he clearly wasn't that much of a, a talent because truly talented people are able to come back from knockbacks and setbacks and stuff like that so i think this guy is a pretty decent um idiot he definitely didn't isn't responsible for like deaths or horrible misfortune no. or anything like that but in terms of the classic definition of an idiot and also someone who isn't a, like he's obviously his own biggest fan like he's overrated oh, yeah. but only by himself so <laughs> I'm happy to give this guy a 75. Um, had right. he killed some of his researchers, which I suspect, yeah. yeah, if he'd like been so arrogant or lazy or whatever, it had led to the deaths of other people, like he'd have scored higher. Because when you've got like injury on your hands as well as like failure and arrogance and being a prick, then you know it, it bumps it up a notch, really, doesn't it? <laughs> I just picture him like a cartoon going, hey, go in that hole and grab that bone for me real quick. Yeah, here, let me let me get that. And then he takes it from him, kicks yeah. him back in the kicks hole, back in the hole dirty. drops a stick of dynamite in there. <laughs> <laughs> just what an arsehole. Yeah, he's he's definitely like a, a 75, I feel like, is a good rating for him because he he wasn't successful, but he always thought he would be. So that's quite a level of idiocy that you don't see. Now, my next guy... Um, has actually been depicted on screen in the last five years in an okay. ITV drama um, which starred... Um, oh, what's his name? Oh, um, Anyway, Welsh actor. Um, he was nominated for an Oscar for Frost Nixon. Frost versus Nixon. Um, uh, I can't remember his man. name. Um, All I can see is the movie poster. Yeah. It's just a silhouette of a face. Exactly, yeah. Um, anyway, it. uh, yeah, it's going it, to. Martin, no, not Martin Sheen. Um, his last name's Sheen. I can't remember his first name. I should do. He's a very well respected Welsh actor, and I'm Welsh, and I should know these things. Anyway. Definitely not Charlie Sheen. No, not Charlie Sheen, no, because he's respected. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, this person is called Charlie. And. Um, okay. The person we're talking about today is and and people from the UK will probably know this name if they are, you know, around a certain age because it was a huge deal in this country at the time. I'm not so sure about Americans, but um this is going to be a really interesting learning experience for anyone that isn't familiar. Maybe you do know about him. It was a quite an interesting moment in history this. Major Charles Ingram. 
was born on the 6th of August 1963 in Shardlow, Derbyshire, the son of a retired RAF wing commander, John Ingram, and his wife, um, theatre set designer Susan. His father's Wellington bomber operated with the 103 Squadron from the RAF Elsham Wolds base um, and had been shot down in late September 1941. He was taken a POW while two of his crew were killed, so... Um, so his dad, like, survived World War II, was a POW, um, eventually came back. His dad was a war hero. Like, no two ways That'll about it. That will mess you up, though. Yeah, that, w- that will yeah. fuck you up. Um, Ingram's parents divorced when he was young, and he spent most of his education uh, education years, that's, that's poorly worded, uh, boarding privately at Oswestry School in Oswestry, Shropshire, which is actually not too far from where I live. To be honest, that's like a couple of counties over. That's that's probably like a forty-five minute drive. Um, there was a member of the com- uh, he was a m- member of the combined cadet force. I'm not sure what that is. I know about air cadets and stuff. Maybe it's a conglomeration of other cadets. It's like in training or something. Yeah, it's like a kind of a when you're in school, you can be part of cadets and they kind of train you in like it's it's a kind of like a a side door into the army for people who want to be gotcha. yeah so uh, and he also completed the duke of edinburgh uh, silver award which like i don't think we need to know that like the majority of kids in school in this country do the duke of edinburgh award it's nothing major it's like the president's physical fitness award pretty much yeah only like the duke of edinburgh <laughs> award it's like you fuck off into the wilderness with a tent and you go camping for a few days that's basically oh, it so it's a merit badge it's a, yeah it's like the scouts only like <laughs> endorsed by a royal and without the you know okay. dodgy scoutmasters um he went he went on to <laughs> obtain a bsc bachelor of science in civil engineering from kingston university so this guy's got talent you know, um, right. he's he's you know he's done the cadet thing. He's done the Duke of Edinburgh. He's got himself a degree. And in 1987, Ingram trained for the British Army at Sandhurst, which is like our, it's like where the cream of the crop go. I think you guys have a similar thing in America. What's what's that place where a lot of the, like the naval training thing? Oh, like Annapolis. Annapolis, or, or the, yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. You know, like a major place. Sandhurst is where like all the posh expensive kids go when they want to become army like commanders and stuff um he was commissioned as an officer in the royal engineers obviously with his uh, civil engineering degree in bachelor of science and he was promoted to the rank of captain in 1990 and major in 1996 so at this point in his life he's married he's a major in the royal engineers corps which is really really important because they get sent all over the world and they rebuild infrastructure and rebuild bridges and you know, they also get involved in the action as well. You know, they're frontline repairing uh, camps and outposts and stuff like that. So they are generally involved in the fighting. And yeah, you know, they're all college educated. And it's quite an interesting thing. So he's a very useful guy, very successful. You'd think at this point he's doing all right, right? Yeah. 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 Out there building bridges right after they blow them up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you roll in, you steal everything, and then you rebuild it so that it's better. Um, exactly. <laughs> so he's doing well. Um, in 1999, Ingram was sent to Banja Luka in Bosnia for six months on a United Nations peacekeeping duty. So this is after the 
the war in that region. Um, he also graduated, this is really interesting, and I don't know how we found time for this. He also graduated from Cranfield University with a master's degree in corporate management in August 2000, which, given that he was in the army and, uh, you know, out in Bosnia and all of that stuff, how the hell did he find time to do that? A master's degree. Mail order? Possibly. Is it a mail order master's degree? What we're about to find out from this man is that Cranfield University might just be one of those fucking online websites where you click a button and get a degree. So, oh, yeah. that's where I went to school. <laughs> yes, I have several <laughs> master's degrees from that university. Um, here's where it all starts to go wrong, though. And this is where, like, you've heard all the army stuff, the engineering stuff. You're thinking, oh, where's this going? On September the 9th, 2001, Ingram became a contestant on the ITV game show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh. Okay. Well, this took a turn. Yeah. (laughs) Following uh, his wife, Diana, and her brother, Adrian Pollock, who had each won £32,000 as contestants on the show. So they'd done pretty well, actually. Yeah, that's a couple levels up. Yeah, that's like, you're getting to the point now where, like, I think if you... That's like the first point where you can guarantee leaving with that amount. Like if you keep going and you fall back down, you're always guaranteed thirty-two thousand. I think so. I think that's how it works. Yeah. So he, that his wife and his brother-in-law were doing pretty good. Unfortunately, he's not very clever. Despite having a master's degree um, and a BSc, he's he's not very good. And we'll get to that now. Um, in the lead-up to the show, to prepare, um, Ingram practised by for about 20 minutes a day on a homemade fastest-finger-first machine. So he's just sitting there, like, like just tapping away on this thing. Um, I, His wife appreciated it later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, to be honest with you, I'm all right with this. It's a little bit sad that you're, like, training for a game show, but, you know, if it gives you a competitive advantage and you can win money with it, I'm all for it. And, like, if he can win the same amount as his wife, like, 64 grand, that's, like, that's a fair chunk of the mortgage gone. Right there, you know. He's got that's... little weights going. He's doing curls with his finger. <laughs> yeah, just like a little weight <laughs> attached to the end of his finger. Um, and so Ingram got into the hot seat, but used two of his lifelines very early on, and he ended the day on just £4,000 with only the 50-50 lifeline remaining. Uh, the production team doubted he'd proceed much further when filming resumed, but he surprised them and everybody else by winning the jackpot of £1 million. And the question he was asked... Get out. I, I, I <laughs> shit you not. Um, okay. And the question was, uh, and I haven't got it written down here, but it was something like, what is the definition of a number followed by a million zeros? Now, at the time, Google wasn't a thing, but it is a Google is what it's called. And um, right. he somehow guessed that correctly, despite after like the first few questions really fucking up and only having four grand. And they were very easy questions, those like first few, you know, when you get up to like a thousand, two thousand, whatever. It's it's nothing. Yeah, if you're using lifelines up that early on, yeah, you're fucked not... on, you really. There's no way yeah. you're making it to a million quid unless you're like some sort of like savant overnight, which is impossible. And we'll get to how he did it in a second. By the time okay. Ingram had left the set, the show's production company, Celador, began to receive allegations of irregularities occurring within the quiz and suspended the jackpot payout to investigate the matter. 
At the same time, the show's presenter Chris Tarrant overheard the Ingrams had been arguing, despite Ingram's success. Moments before, Tarrant joined them in their dressing room for a champagne celebration, which, I mean, you get to, Chris Tarrant is a big, he's like an old school radio personality and comes in, brings right. his champagne a million quid. That's a fun night. Why the fuck are you arguing? Yeah. That's suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> little suspicious. A little bit. Uh, another member of the production team also noticed a similar thought about the couple's behaviour, that it was just off. Like, you've just won a, won a million quid. You should be having sex on the green room sofa, basically, at that point. Um, while reviewing yeah. the recording, the production team made a connection between Ingram's answers and coughs coming from one of the waiting contestants, <laughs> a lecturer called Tequin Whittock who was a regular quiz contestant and had appeared on Series 10 of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, as well as Sale of the Century, 15 to 1, uh, The People Versus, and Brain of Britain. It's thought that Tequin Whittock, a lecturer at Pontypris College, genuinely knew the answers himself, but he was also helped by Ingram's wife, Diana. In another instance, the coughing came from Ingram's wife while she was sat in the audience on camera. She was on one of the hard, because they cut to the audience. You know, you get a general shot of the audience, yeah. and then you'll get like, oh, who's in the audience with you today? Oh, it's my pet dog, Billy. And they'll cut to Billy, you know, sitting in the seat <laughs> or whatever. And she was on hard camera the whole time, and she still went, <laughs> not that one, you fucking idiot. So, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and it was coming in stereo from the guy over here. Exactly, over yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, based on this evidence... All three were accused of cheating, and the matter was handed over to the police to investigate further. Whittock and the Ingrams were eventually charged with procuring the execution of a valuable security by deception, which is the most English fucking law sentence I've ever heard in my life. That's, yeah. Jesus, There's another word for it. Words. It's fraud. Yeah, Just call it was... fraud, you fucking losers. Anyway. Somebody something... was getting paid by the syllable when they were writing oh, that yeah. word. That's someone from someone from a private school has been like, oh, I've got, like, how can I get paid? I'm, I'm not quite, we're at four o'clock. I want to make it to five. Let's see. The execution of the deception of the mind of the monies. And, oh, just bullshit. Following a trial at Southwark Crown Court lasting four weeks. That's a big fucking trial. That's like murder. That's right? like a murder trial. They don't go on that long. Um, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> That's a crazy <laughs> amount of time. Um, including jury deliberation, which went on for three and a half days. What were they fucking deliberating about? Ingram, his wife, and Whittock were convicted by a majority verdict of their offences on the 7th of April 2003. Both uh, the Ingrams and Whittock were given prison sentences suspended for two years. The Ingrams Aww. were sent... I know, they got away with it quite lightly, really. <laughs> Although they didn't win shit. They weren't getting yeah. their money at this point. Um, yes, once you get embarrassed and they take your money away, it's punishment enough. <laughs> it's like, yeah, please. Um, the Ingrams were sentenced to 18 months, suspended for two years, and Whittock was suspended to 12 months, suspended for two years. Each were fined £15,000 and ordered to pay £10,000 towards prosecution costs because clearly this was a high-profile case. Not many things go to Southwark Crown Court unless they're quite a big deal because that's like quite a major crown court in this country it's not quite the old bailey but it's like one of the top ones there that you know has very high profile judges and stuff um, the attention yeah yeah exactly uh they wanted to send a message do not fuck with itv um yeah. within two 
<laughs> don't fuck with Chris Tarrant and who wants to be a millionaire. Uh, within two months of the verdict and the sentence, the trial's judge ordered the Ingrams to pay an additional defence cost, which left them repaying a total of £115,000, which is, that's, that's fuck you, your life is over money right there. Well, that's, they could always go on a game show. They could try and do, <laughs> cough their way through that shit. <laughs> maybe fart. Maybe try farting next time. No one's yeah. going to pick up on that. Uh, or some just other bodily function. Just vomit whenever the correct questions are out. <laughs> just pile it, syrup of Ipecac just at the back of the seat and they're just taking swigs. Oh, God. That's, sorry, I just closed myself. The chain reaction that would happen. <laughs> the chain oh, reaction in the audience. over. <laughs> People just start vomiting left, right, and said, oh, my God. Um, on August the 19th, 2003, the Army Board ordered Ingram to resign his commission as a major after 16 years of service, but st- uh, stated that uh, this would not affect his pension entitlements, which I'm kind of glad about. Like, the guy, he went to Bosnia. He, he did, okay, he's fucked up, but don't take away his pension, you know? He's got to live on. You shouldn't punish him twice. Um, yeah. Feels probably bad. dipping into his pension with the oh. big ass fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. And actually, it's a, it's an army pension. I wouldn't imagine it's even as the Corps of Engineers, it's not going to be a massive pension. Um, on the 19th of May 2004, the Court of Appeals denied Ingram leave to appeal against his conviction and upheld his sentence, but agreed to quash his wife's fine and prosecution costs. So that effectively, the 115,000 pounds has been slashed in half, which is which okay. is good. That's that's fair enough. Like. They get it. Like, you've been punished. You're a fucking idiot. Everyone hates you. You know, that's, that's that's punishment enough. On October the 5th, but he wasn't happy. He took it to the House of Lords, which is like, dude, just give Wait, up. All right. He's arguing? He's still going. Oh, the Court of Appeal have been like, you're not getting like it kicked out, but we'll get rid of half of the fine for you. And he's like, no, I want, I want what I want. Um, <laughs> the House of Lords denied Ingram leave to appeal against his fine and prosecution costs. Uh, and he appealed, fuck me, I didn't even read this part. He appealed to the European Court of Human Rights, um, which is like, what? that's the highest you can go other than like trying to find and prove the existence of God and appeal directly to him at this point. It's fucking he, insane. Over half of 115,000? Did he, was he trying to get his money back too? And oh, it's like, I won, he, damn it. Yeah, you were found guilty and you were fined, and the fine has been reduced. How is this an impingement on your human rights, you dickhead? Um, on October the 20th, the original trial judge reduced Ingram's defence costs order to £25,000 and Diana's defence costs order to £5,000. Ingram's defence costs were f- later further reduced to £5,000 on appeal. So he's gone from 115 grand to five fucking grand, and his wife five grand as well, so ten grand. I could pay that off. I- yeah, I kind of want to see if I can get a hold of this dude and have him negotiate some of my debts down for yeah. me. Yeah, like, I want him <laughs> to come with me to the next time I have to buy a car. I might get it for free. There you go. They'll yeah. pay you. I mean, say what you will about Charles Ingram. He's a good fucking negotiator. Um, in 2006, <laughs> journalist John Ronson, who covered the case at the time for The Guardian, wrote that he believed the Ingrams might be innocent. Ronson, who attended every day of the trial, no, had attended every day of the trial, had observed that when the word cough was mentioned, pensioners in the public gallery had coughed. Okay. Uh, I can see it. 
I can see the logic behind the thinking, but here's the thing, and this is disappointing for me. I am a massive fan of John Ronson's work. Now, maybe the name rings a bell, it may not. The whole Guardian journalist thing is is not an appropriate measure of his success in this world. John Ronson has written books including Frank, The Men Who Stare at Goats, um, both of which have been turned into films. Frank is an amazing film with... um, uh, Michael Fassbender as Frank Sidebottom with the, the papier-mâché head that he never takes off. Um, it, it's the most insane fucking film um, you will ever watch. And Frank Sidebottom was a real character on like local television in the UK. The film has no nothing to do with him. It just He died at a young age and they raised money for him through this film. And it's got Maggie Gyllenhaal in it and Donham Gleeson. And it's one of the funniest films I've ever seen. It's fucking insane. If you ever get a chance to watch Frank, watch it. It's brilliant. And The Men Who Stare at Goats as well with like Clooney and... Ewan McGregor and um, <laughs> that uh, I, I, what's his name? Oh, um, it was in Tron. Oh God, what's his name? Rant, Jeff Bridges. Uh, yeah, I'm, I always mix up uh, Quaid and Jeff Bridges. For yeah, some reason. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dennis, De- Dennis Quaid and Jeff Bridges, same era. Anyway, so that, those two books of John Ronson's were made into films. He's also written a book uh, which is on a shelf behind me, actually, called The Psychopath Test. Has the best chapter of any book I've ever read. The opening chapter is brilliant. It's and it's non-fiction, but you read it and you're like, I I have to read this book right now and not stop. He's also written a book called Them, which is about conspiracy theorists, and um, so you've been publicly shamed, which is a great title for uh, a book. Um, he was a Guardian columnist at the kind of the golden, the modern golden era of the Guardian because he wrote at the same time as Charlie Brooker was their TV pundit, and Charlie Brooker went on to create, write, and direct most of Black Mirror, which is one of the best show. TV shows of the last twenty years. It's fucking amazing. Um, I was so uncomfortable that first episode. That's. The pig, yeah, and and it's weird. Years later, it came out that David Cameron had done that exact thing with a dead pig's head. Yeah, oh yeah. Just type in David Cameron and pig's head. You'll get the shock of your life. Yeah, no pictures, thankfully, but just a description. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, He also broke into, and this is the most interesting thing about John Ronson, he broke into Bohemia Grove with a pre-insanity Alex Jones. So Alex Jones of Infowars and multiple lawsuits and no longer on any major platform because he's completely out of his tree. Um, They both (laughs) broke into Bohemian Grove at the same time and sort of blagged their way in. And they watched on as the ceremonies took place, and I think Alex Jones was surreptitiously filming it as well. Um, And they both had completely different interpretations of the events that they'd witnessed and argued about them afterwards. Basically, John Ronson saw a bunch of... famous powerful old men getting drunk and pissing on trees and having a good time with no one around to bother them except like other powerful old men basically that's what john ronson saw jones saw a satanic ritual that sacrificed a real person to an owl god which when you watch the recording it's clearly just a fucking dummy with like audio (laughs) played over the top of it and actually was like oh my god that's a real person it's like dude you can see the straw it's not a real person. <laughs> if that's your definition of a real person, I really hope your wife is a real human woman. Um, no, she's, she's silicon. 
Yeah, and she's left him. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, that was a cheap shot. Alex Jones. I'm sure there's some redeeming factor to him. Uh, This is the only time I've ever been disappointed by John Ronson because his, like, career and the books he's written are amazing. I honestly recommend anyone out there to go and read John Ronson's books. They are very easy reads, but they are completely enthralling because he's got a very good voice. Anyway, he thought the Ingrams were innocent, so kind of lost a little respect for him because they're clearly not. Yeah, I I don't know. I the the theory is pretty good though. Like the yeah, if I touch my suggestion. face, you'll touch yours. Yeah. If I say something, it might make you. I don't know. If I say cough, will you cough? Or are we just not old enough? Um, no, and I I feel like I I'm not as suggestible as some of these pensioners that were in the the gallery for this thing might have been. But I I like I think it's a bit. I understand that um, people cough, and when you say certain words. And people mirror stuff. So, like, when you, you're talking to someone and you, like, you cross your arms and, and they talk back and they cross their arms. It's like human nature to mirror and respond to stuff. But this is, this is more than just a coincidence, and we'll get into that now. James okay. Plaskett, who appeared in The Fastest Finger uh, first round several times before winning £250,000 in January 2006, argued that this was an example uh, of coughs causing caused by an unconscious trigger, and Whittaker and others had simply coughed involuntary upon hearing the correct answer. Um, Whittock, uh was also accused of having coughed after Ingram mentioned an incorrect option to his penultimate question and swiftly followed that up with a smothered NO! Like, he actually said no. Oh, damn. Yeah. Whoops. At that point, yeah. it's like coughs, sneeze, whatever it might be. The fucker said no. So. Yeah. I was Don't be so fucking still said no. It's not that one, you twat. You know? I was thinking it'd be fun to play poker with that guy. Oh, yeah. He no, he's a massive tail. Aces. However, Plaskett. Uh, yeah, no, sorry, I'm, I'm in the wrong thing. In court, Ingram claimed the videotape of his appearance on Millionaire was unrepresentative of what I heard, and he continues to assert that he was uh, it was unfairly manipulate, uh, manipulated. A video recording with uh, the coughing amplified relate, uh, relative to other sounds, including Ingram's and Tarrant's voice. Because we, like, we both know editing, right? I go into the podcast afterwards, you do a bit of sound sweet- sweetening, you do some noise reduction and stuff, so it's, exa- it's exactly the same thing when you're editing a TV show. You edit out. Even though you've audi- you've mic'd the audience, you lower their levels, don't you? Yeah. So that you don't hear it as prominently. You want the host and the person answering the questions to be prominent. Um, so the the audio team went back in and they changed the level so that it was at the level it would have been heard for the people sitting in the hot seats. And okay. uh, later they broadcast it on TV for the benefit of the jury and the benefit of the public so they can understand what it would have been like from Chris Tarrant's position and uh, Ingram's position when these coughs were happening. So you can hear okay. exactly the level they would have been audible at. Um, after the show finished filming, uh, the sound team noticed that Tequin's timely coughs uh, happened whenever the correct answer was read out by host Chris Tarrant. Whittock was also found to be loudly blowing his nose whenever Ingram was about to pick the wrong answer. And Ingram claims that he neither heard, uh, listened for, encouraged, nor um, noticed any coughing. The prosecution alleged that of the 192 coughs that were recorded during the second night (laughs) performance, so after he'd gotten 
to four grand really quite pathetically. 32 were recorded from uh, the 10 fastest finger first contestants, and that 19 of the 32 coughs, coughs heard uh, were from Tequin Whittock, and they were significant. So they're really delving into this. They do not want to pay him a million quid. Holy shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the prosecution asserted that the significant costs were by Whittock when the correct answer had been spoken. During the trial, Tarrant, the host, denied hearing any coughing throughout the episode, claiming he was too busy to notice. And I, I understand that. Like you're in the zone, you've got a you're you're hosting this huge show, which is very tense in front of a live audience. You've got a director in your ear. You've got someone just off to your left giving you a countdown of what's coming up and. Like, that's a lot to concentrate on. You're not going to hear, like, that fucker's been coughing a lot. And it's always when the right answer comes up. You're just yeah. not going to be able to hear that as a host. You've got too much shit going on. Um, no. Well, I don't even hear myself when I'm doing something like sniffling, doing all exactly. that. Exactly. that all the time. Come who back who and takes go, notice of stuff like that? You know? Yeah. Not when uh, you're doing your thing. Yeah. Larry Whitehurst, another contestant who appeared on the show as a Fastest Finger First contestant, on four occasions was adamant that he had known the answers to Ingram's questions. He told the court that he had been able to detect a pattern of coughing that was entirely that he was entirely convinced uh, had helped Ingram. Whittock claimed this is this is one of my favourite parts. Tequin Whittock, the coffer, claims to have suffered a persistent cough for his entire life and insisted uh -huh. that he had a genuine cough caused by a combination of hay fever and a dust allergy, and it was only coincidence that his throat problem coincided with the right answers. Fuck off. <laughs> See, I think it would have been better if you'd have just been like, what, I had a cold? Yeah, just like, <laughs> I have a cold, I was coughing a lot, never mind, like, I have hay fever and a dust allergy, and it just happened to coincide with the right answers. Like, that's just too... The truth resists simplicity, and there's no way that all of that is the truth. I'm sorry. Way too much detail. Way too much detail. During the trial, however, the jury heard evidence that once Whittock himself earned the right to sit in the hot seat, his throat problems mysteriously disappeared. So <laughs> yeah. he the dust had gone, and the hay fever had been cured... And he was fine in front of the cameras. Um, Little known fact, when you're on the hot seat, uh, you're actually in one of those hermetically sealed bubbles, like Bubble <laughs> you're Boy. You're a Bubble Boy. So... <laughs> what's that? What's that? Uh, Chris Tarrant's there. Sorry, I can't hear you through the plexiglass. I'm sorry. Can you speak louder? Um, Whittock also insisted that he had not known the answers to three of the questions he allegedly helped with. However, the police... This is amazing. The police found the answer to the 12th question regarding the artist who painted the ambassadors in a handwritten general knowledge book at Tequin Whittock's house. They raided his fucking house. Wait, he wrote his own technical knowledge book? To uh, I think oh, he, he was a game show guy, that's right. Yeah, he, he was a massive... So he had books everywhere gotcha. from like just trying to build up his base of knowledge really um the seriously yeah that was kind of obsessed like i think these people really should just focus on a career at this point they probably earn more money um the floor manager said that as soon as the coughing came to his notice during the recording he decided to find out who was responsible the loudest coughing was from tequi Whittock in seat number three he said he was talking to the person to his left when I was observing him, and then he turned towards the set and the hot seat to cough. And Whittock's response to this was, you don't cough into someone's face. Which, hey, at least he's polite. What a gentleman. <laughs> what a gentleman. 
How did Ooh. he get involved with this, though? Like, uh, now I'm yeah. confused. I'm like, this just other random contestant is like, I'm going to make this other guy win a million dollars. Yeah, so according to this, because, like, by, so they like they said, by the end of the... Because I think Ingram came on, like, three quarters of the way through the show the night before, and he got okay. to four grand, and he'd already run out of two lives, and it wasn't looking so great for him. But it was the end of the show's recording, so they came back the next day. The documentary, well, the docudrama that I saw with uh, Michael Sheen, there he is, um, um, said that the night before, Whittock and um, the wife and um, Ingram all got together and concocted this scheme. I think that's mm-hmm. what it went. I think that's how they got together in the hotel. They knocked it out. That was like the kind of the thing because they're all in like a nearby hotel. They all go for the cheapest like local Holiday Inn or whatever it is, you know. So. Right. I think I just pictured a totally different scene when you said they went back <laughs> to the hotel swapping. and knocked it out. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, I'll help you win a million dollars if I can sleep with your wife. That suddenly becomes a decent proposal, then, doesn't it? It's it's a whole different story. That's yeah. another film that was probably made as some sort of spoof. Um, so, yeah, Whittock is not coughing in anyone's face. What a gentleman! Um, nice. During the trial, Whittock portrayed himself as a serial quiz show loser because he had been eliminated in round one of fifteen to one, had also failed on the People Versus, and had been able and had only been able to win an atlas on his appearance of sale of the century what a fucking awful prize to win an atlas he won a map yeah you know like a globe (laughs) like one of the things that you (laughs) like what's the point of that unless it's like a, a secret storage place for booze Really? Or was it made made of gold or something? Yeah, or inflatable, so you can take it in the pool with you or something like that. <laughs> Riding around on my ass. <laughs> yeah, in the pool. That was that would have been the late nineties, and I've just done some research as well. the The nineties was like the very last era when you could go on a game show and win the most random shit, like toys and a dining set and a fucking hot air balloon ride or something like that. Instead of like now, it's all cold hard cash. Like, there's no I like, oh, should, you could win a cruise. I think we should bring back more hot air balloon rides. Hot air balloon you, rides. The, You've won a trip one. to Barbados, Sandals Resort, blah, blah, blah. And it's, like, it's always like, what? Just give me the fucking monetary value of that, please. I've got, I've got a mortgage yes, to please. pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, he'd also done poorly on the quiz shows Beat the Bong. Didn't I didn't know that was a thing. That does Beat not sound like a game bong. show. Yeah, that does not sound like a game show. That sounds like something you do in private. And... Um, <laughs> Brain of Britain. by High Times Magazine. (laughs) Yeah. In late 2003, Ingram and his wife were charged with uh, further fraud offences. It's getting a bit bad for them now. On the 28th of October, October, Ingram was found guilty at Bournemouth Crown Court of obtaining a pecuniary advantage. Jeez, these fucking words. By deception. And of sec and a second charge of deception, having uh, attempted to claim on an insurance policy after an alleged br- burglary at his home, Ingram had failed. A- sorry, what are you he's say? a bad liar. He's really shit at this, isn't he? He's not very good at committing fraud. You should probably have stuck to being an engineer, mate. You were quite good at yeah. that. Ingram had failed to tell Direct Line Insurance about claims he had made in the three years before he took out the policy in July two thousand and one. 
So it's like it's the most it's the easiest thing to check up on, dude. Just tell them. The court was told that Ingram had been a habitual claimant with Norwich Union after suffering unfortunate loss of private po- possessions. Christopher Parker, prosecuting, said that Ingram had switched insurers to Zurich Insurance Group in 1997 after Norwich Union reduced a burglary claim from 19,000 to 9,000 and in 2000 switched again to direct line. He was, oh God, these words. He has been inelectably dishonest, Parker said. He went to direct line and didn't make a disclosure about his claims history because he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't have been insured. It might not have started off as the most monstrous piece of villainy. <laughs> what a fucking line. Damn. But, <laughs> yeah, this guy, this guy went to private school. He's, he wants yeah, everyone he to fucking know it. Um, <laughs> these things tend to snowball, and it all came to a sticky end when he claimed for £30,000. I think these, the, the, the Ingrams had serious debt problems because they're always Could looking be. for a quick buck by the sounds of it. And instead of like maybe trying to find an easier way of like maybe coming up with a payoff scheme or like talking to the people you owe money to, they're just like, we'll con our way to the money. And yeah, it's not maybe. good. Maybe I, I wonder if maybe they had like a gambling problem because they yeah. clearly suck at cheating. So yeah, they are like really they had bad a scheme at to cheat at gambling and now they owe the mob money. I know. Why would you do this if you're clearly so bad at it? And this is the uh, another funny part. Staff at Direct Line were already suspicious about Ingram's £30,000 burglary claim, but decided to vest, uh, investigate only after reading newspaper coverage about his questionable win on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So if he hadn't have fucked around on that show, he'd have probably got on the insurance claim, but he couldn't help he himself. Sunk himself. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, Ingram was given a conditional discharge, so he he was found guilty, but they didn't punish him at all for this for insurance fraud, which is a big fucking deal. Um, on the charge of fraudulently claiming thirty thousand pounds in insurance, the judge told Ingram he took into account the punishment Ingram had brought upon himself and his dire financial situation. So it's basically saying, you have been through enough, but stop being a fucking idiot. Um, and yeah, he also the judge also rejected an alternative option uh, of community service after Ingram told a probation, bleh, probation officer he feared other criminals would bully him. You were a fuck, <laughs> You were in the fucking army! Aren't you trained uh, to kill people? Why are you scared of some drugged-up purse snatchers? What the hell? Yeah, you you like built bridges and played with bombs and yeah. stuff. Yeah, take take on a thug. And any any criminal that's getting community service in this country has not done anything too bad. Like there, yeah, well, anything above like a, a, a slightly minor offense, you are straight to prison in this country. It's crazy. So I can imagine though that the bullying would have been really psychological because they would have just been how they would have ripped the piss out of him. And actually, if you watch video of him, um, even without the millionaire win, he looks like the kind of guy that, like, if he was around the wrong crowd, he would absolutely get ripped to shreds because they would just fucking lay into him and he would not be able to. He's all very jolly and happy and smiley, and he's the kind of person who would have, like, instead of saying fuck you we'll take we'll take it outside or like have some sort of spartan like comeback he would have just gone ho, 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 and like been crying inside so yeah <laughs> so I, I can see it yeah it's kind of sad bad. he he's he's one of life's targets unfortunately um and also one final amazing entry in major charles ingram's life well former major charles ingram's life in 2010 
This is fucking amazing. He lost three toes on his left foot in an accident involving a lawnmower. Now, when you say an accident involving a lawnmower, what you're saying is he ran over his own foot with a lawnmower, right? That's, I think that's what that means. That's yeah. basically it, right? We're not fucking around. Like nobody has an accident with a lawnmower where they lose three toes. Like the, modern lawnmowers, even in 2010, they have like ways of stopping when you let go of yeah. certain elements of them. How the fuck do you chop your toes off? Is he is he going for another insurance claim? It could be that, or oh. he was playing the hokey pokey with his lawnmower flipped upside down. Yeah, that he sounds like the kind of thing we do. In and off come the damn toes. <laughs> It's, it, I mean, this guy. So that's that's the end of Major Charles Ingram. He has actually written books um, since he like this whole thing happened to him. Nothing to do with like I tried to steal a million pounds. It's always like army books about like okay. war and stuff. Like he's trying to be the next like John Grisham of army thrillers, and they haven't sold very well. But you know he's posh and he was in the army, so therefore he'll get a publishing deal. So. What do you make of Major Charles Ingram and Mrs. Ingram and Tequin Whittock, which is a fucking amazing name? It is an amazing name. I was, yeah, I wanted to say something this whole time. I'm like, I kind of borrow that. Yeah, that's a great character name. Whittock. (laughs) (laughs) So, what do you think of them then? Um, again, not a whole lot of death. Got really lucky. Mm. Um. they suck at cheating. Fuck, pretty so evidently. bad. And he was a, I mean, a decent military member, I suppose. Uh, so I, yeah, um, and he went to Bosnia for the UN. So it's like peacekeeping duties. You deserve a bit of credit for that, I guess. Yeah. That's good work. As an engineer, he seems like it, it sounds like he's got a pretty unblemished army record. Like he never went around abusing his power in the army or anything. He sounds like a pretty standard run-of-the-mill guy until he decided to try and steal a million quid through a coughing idiot. As well, See, now, the coughing right there, thinking about now the, the fact that he's an engineer, couldn't they have come up with a better system that was more foolproof, maybe like a little buzzer or something? I mean, if the Astros can come up with a good buzzer system for cheating at baseball, <laughs> this um, guy that's an engineer, or civil engineer, I guess, well, he... He sh- yeah, he should have done better. So because it was so stupid, the plan and this, it may it failed so badly. Like and although and again so we often- need to give him credit as well, getting the one hundred and fifteen thousand pound fine down to ten grand for him and his wife. Yeah, that's that's another tick in his favor. This dude can negotiate. Holy shit! That is impressive as hell. Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna have to just go with a, with a straight C on this one. It's a mm. six. No, that's a D. A sixty. This <laughs> 60. is why I had. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I think it's it's interesting because in many ways, um, you know, a lot of the people that have scored very highly on this, like the kind of the psychopaths and the planet killers and the doomsday cultists and all of that, they all make massive, massive impacts on like the world. Negative almost throughout their entire lives. Like that's their impact. But it's not that it's a good thing, but they are notable. They are remembered for their negative impact. Charles Ingram, if anything, is even a failure at being an idiot because he's not even that good of an idiot. So it's in many ways, he is a great idiot because he's not a great idiot. He's the kind of person who just sort of can't quite get there in life. Really sad. You know what? You know what? 
62. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just raised it up just because yeah. of the, the multiple attempts <laughs> and, and the negotiating. Yeah, and the fucking toes with the lawnmower. You, what was he using a machete to cut his lawn? Was that what he was doing? Yeah. He's like, oh, it's gotten too big. I'm just going to have to get out the heavy weaponry for this one. Jesus. Uh, get me a sling blade. Honey, get the flamethrower. <laughs> uh, we need to napalm this grass. I wouldn't put it past him. I swear to God. Um, oh, man. So there we go. Oof. Major Charles Ingram, um, the man who tried to steal a million pounds in one of the most ridiculous ways ever devised by a human mind. And... Um, Oh God, who who was who was yours again? I've forgotten his uh, name. Richard Dick Owens. Dick Owens, Owens the paleontologist <laughs> who was shit at his job and stole everybody else's ideas and completely got them wrong. So and created the name dinosaur. So he's got that going. For well, th- there you go. Redeeming factor in his favor that he created that and also helped influence the museum movement. So we've got to give it like I fucking again. I love museums. I really do. So thank you for that, your contribution to that. And also the fact that without you, Jurassic Park might be a little bit less interesting, potentially. Um, Who fucking cares? But um, yeah, I actually think um, those are two... Because we've gone with, in the past, we've gone with some big name idiots and some really quite catastrophic consequences of like King John, like demolishing his empire or the guy who pissed off Kengis Khan and got like millions of people wiped out and the guy who killed the planet but these yeah. two when I think of idiots I think of people that try something really quite stupid failing badly and then just not accepting that they failed badly at it and I think these two fit that quite nicely they do yeah yeah they are they Classic. Definitely idiots. are lacking the remorse. Yeah. yeah. Or the learning of the lesson. Yeah. Or like all. any sense of self awareness, really. It's like, it's obvious to us that they fucked up and that they're clearly not very good at what they did. But because they're so pig headed in a way, they can't accept it. So, um, yeah. If, if I, I would have said, if James Ingram, Charles Ingram, sorry, had come out and said, yeah, I'm sorry. I got away with it to an extent because I only paid like a 10 grand fine, but I did try. And who can blame me? It's a million quid. You know, I had debts. And and also, here's my book that's coming out. This is how I planned it. Oh, isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you like to buy this? <laughs> if he'd done that, I'd have been really impressed with the dude. I own that, that shit. Been brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And he'd have made his million because who wouldn't See, want that, to read that book? That's the lesson right there. Yeah. He could have learned. He could have still been a millionaire. Get ahead of the story. Is, is the thing. Everyone knows you fucked up. Read the public sentiment. Read what's going on. And own it. You know? Like, when, yeah. when George Michael... This is a really bad example. Was caught Uh-oh. in the toilet in LA with an undercover cop. And he propositioned him. And he was cruising and stuff like that. He went on TV and he went, Yeah, you know, I don't think it's any secret. People have speculated about it for years. I'm gay. I get a kick out of this sort of thing, and this time it happened to be a police officer with his cock out. So, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm gay. I'm going to enjoy that and uh, peace out, bitches. And that was that was his thing. So that's and that's that's the thing right there. That's Mm. admirable. You steer into the skid, embrace the suck, and just go on. Just admit your faults and move on with your life. Don't let it fester and stay with you. And because that's the real lesson in these things. Like if you can. Uh, make what is it chicken soup out of chicken shit or whatever it is that saying is 
Just... I'm not eating at your restaurant, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have not let the health inspectors in in years. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? Like, take a really bad situation, right? Learn from it and try and improve your life. Okay, you fucked up and, you know, it might follow you for years, but cash in on it or use it as a learning experience or move away from it. You know, don't just fucking let it sit there and everyone have control over it. So there we go. And um, what what are your thoughts on this week's idiots? Um, again, I had fun yeah. doing mine. Yeah. I again on this week's episode, not just on the idiots. I <laughs> learned more things about how things are different where you're at, yeah. where I'm at, what hits the news and what doesn't. Because I hadn't heard about this guy at all. I, I know, mean, and it's such a fascinating story as well. Like, it would have been fun. Yeah. Know? It's the kind of thing where if it were fiction, you'd be like, oh, that's an interesting concept. But no, this is all real. And that's kind of even more amazing. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I've am i really enjoyed this. I, I was really struggling. I was like, who should I do? And I was looking at a number of people, and then I was like, oh, maybe I want something lighter. Maybe I want someone who's really kind of stupid. Maybe. And then I was like, oh, the millionaire dude. Oh, that's amazing. He'll do nicely. So, yeah, thank you, Charles Ingram. You're a perfect example of what I was looking for, a light-hearted idiot. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good when you can stumble into a good idiot. Yeah. You know, unless it's in a street, in which case you try and avoid them. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, that's our show for this week. And um, remember, if you're ever trying to take credit for somebody else's work as a professional in the field and then you misinterpret it to make it look like the actual thing is dancing and running around and having speeches and smoking cigars. Or if you decide that you want to pay off your debts by ripping off a massive game show that has got backers in the millions and has got like a crew of solicitors just waiting around to sue you into the fucking earth, maybe don't do it. Maybe learn the lessons from yeah. these two fucking idiots. Um, so that's our show for this Indeed. week uh, thank you everybody for joining in uh, do get in touch, our, our social media uh, links are in the description I've only just remembered that because Derek has been prompting me the last couple of episodes and I've totally glossed over it So, thanks, Derek. good thing you remembered because I forgot this time. <laughs> we swapped places that's amazing uh, so, yeah, makes the dream work exactly. <laughs> so you can find us on Instagram and Twitter if you just search for History's Greatest Idiots, or if you actually just look in the description of this podcast episode, there will be a link in there. Uh, yeah, so please try and learn the lessons from these two idiots, and uh, we will see you again very soon for episode 11. Until that time, uh, Derek, would you like to say goodbye? Make smart decisions. Bye, everybody. <laughs> please make smart decisions. And until then, we will see you soon. Take care now. Bye. Bye.